Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the sanctuary and online today. In a moment, our ushers are going to be coming down the aisles with some Bibles if you would like to borrow one to use today. Today, we are beginning a summer sermon series called When God Speaks. And last week, we learned about how God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. But before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit would descend on one person at a time to give a message from God. And those people chosen to receive and to give that message were called prophets. And honestly, the prophets' work was not always very fun. Sometimes it was when they got to speak God's word of love and comfort to people. But other times what God told them to say was stuff his people didn't particularly want to hear. But like a good parent, when God saw his kids drifting into trouble, if a well-timed word of discipline or compassion would change our course, he'd send it. But he also gave his people the freedom to choose to listen or not, along with the consequences of those choices. And the prophets' messages in the Old Testament were often considered tough love, which for parents out there know that's often the hardest kind. But behind those sometimes hard words of the minor prophets is God's love for his people, his desire to see us live lives of love, trust, justice, and peace. The minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were each used by God to speak a specific message to his people and to help them turn back to God. And God is still doing that today. Hebrews 1 tells us, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And since the Holy Spirit came to show us God's heart through Jesus, this summer we're going to learn from the prophets how to respond when God speaks. And each week we're going to be asking, what does this tell me about God and what he cares about? And what is God speaking to me today? But the prophet that we're starting with today isn't actually all that minor. We're warming up with a little more well-known prophet, Daniel, both this week and next. And although Daniel is not a minor prophet, his book is all about being a minority. Many of the prophets we're going to talk about only talk to God's people. So their challenge is to dare to stand up to their own people to show them they need to turn back to God, which is certainly not easy. But that challenge is different from Daniel's. Daniel was a captive, living in exile, living in the palace of a foreign king. And when you're living as a slave among people who don't know or care who God is, standing on street corners telling them that they should do what your God wants is pretty pointless because they would just look at you and say, God who? Why should I care what he wants? And why would I listen to you? No, in Daniel's situation, the way that God called him to witness was to introduce people to God through the integrity of his lived faith in a place where living that faith wasn't easy. His challenge is to dare to choose obedience, to dare to be different, a follower of God in a world that won't understand. And the more that Daniel commits in obedience to following God's way instead of the way the culture around him, the more he experiences resistance and then grudging respect from the culture and the more curious they begin to be about who his God is. And the more he experiences from God increased gifts of faith and presence and power. 
Now, there was a time not that long ago when Daniel's story might have felt kind of foreign to us. But more and more as people of faith, we are living in a Daniel-like world right now. To yell at people for not loving God more or wanting to worship him more just doesn't make sense. Because they're just going to say to us, God, God who? Why do I care what he wants? And why would I listen to you? Just like in the time of Daniel, what our culture needs to experience through us today is that God is God and that he makes a difference in our lives. And they need to see that before they'll care to know him. And for them to see that in us, we first have to believe it and give the Lord access to our lives to let him do what he wants to do in us. Daniel's witness is built on obedience, being available for God to use him by letting his own life be the arena God will use to show others that the Lord is God. And that's a whole different kind of courage. Now, you might not necessarily think of the word courage when you think of obedience, but when your obedience is to the Lord, he's going to use it to move through you and in you. But the word obey has all kinds of emotional baggage around it, because first of all, it makes us think about someone maliciously forcing us to do their will or else. Or else it might make us think of someone who does what someone else wants, but only because their spirit is broken. And neither of those things are biblical obedience. In the Bible, when God sees people forced to do the will of others, the prophets speak against that. They bring God's call for deliverance from injustice. And in the Bible, when God sees people with crushed and broken spirits, the prophets speak out God's comfort and healing for those people. No, biblical obedience that brings powerful and spiritual fruit is all about trust. It's choosing to say to God, I trust you. I trust your good heart. I trust your authority. I trust who you are enough that I will choose to do what you say. I'm going to show you that I trust you by what I choose to do. That is obedience. And it requires humility before God, trust, and courage. But if we want our faith to grow, we have to trust enough to use it, not just to hear God's word, but to do it. And there's so much that we can learn from Daniel. So let's see how this plays out in Daniel's own story. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, turn to the first chapter of Daniel. It's on, on page 1283 in the Quest Bible. And if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew first, and then you turn backwards about an eighth of an inch, you're going to be close. So here's the story. Daniel was part of the royal family of Judah. He was the Prince Harry of his own day. And he was captured and taken to Babylon. And because of his lineage, health, and intelligence, Daniel, along with the guys that will come to know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are brought into the palace and they're trained up to be servants of the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. And as a teenager, enslaved and far from home, Daniel shows incredible integrity. Because for anybody else, being sent to serve in the king's palace and eat the king's food, that would have seemed like the jackpot of all assignments. But for Daniel, it presents a crisis of faith immediately. Because eating the food of the king would violate the food laws that he had grown up with that set him apart as one who belonged to God. But if he refused to eat the king's food, there could be serious consequences. He could be beaten, killed, or sent to be a galley slave. And obviously, the easiest thing, the safest thing, would be to do nothing. But to do nothing was making a choice. 
If he stayed silent and ate the king's food, he'd be making a choice to turn away from his faith commitment to God and his foundational identity as one of God's people. Now, maybe for you and me, this dietary thing doesn't seem like it would be the hill to die on, right? There might be other more important ways to be faithful to God. But for Daniel, this was the moment. This is the crossroads moment where he has to decide, who am I going to be? I've been dragged away from home and family, imprisoned here to serve a foreign king. That was not my choice, but this is. See, Daniel knew this little seemingly minor decision about food, this decision whether or not he would speak up or stay silent would only be the first in a whole series of decisions that were going to shape him in one direction or the other, either deepen his commitment to God or lead him away from it. So this was the moment to ask, what's it going to be? Am I going to be committed to following my God in this new life or not? Am I going to choose to be obedient or safe? And how he answers that question will change the trajectory of Daniel's story. So if you've ever wondered, do these little decisions I'm making every day really matter? This book is written for you. Because the book of Daniel shows us how our obedience, our little choices to trust God, even with small things, matter deeply. Because our lives, our identities, who we become, are built on those series of little moments of whether or not we will trust God enough to follow where he leads us. And in chapter 1, Daniel is weighing those options, A or B. Option A, play it safe, stay silent, eat the food, stop looking to God for identity, let Babylon decide who will be instead. Now, they'd already given him a different name, Belshazzar, so why not just go with that? Now, that choice seems to be the easier one initially. It has the least amount of risk up front, make the least amount of waves. But in the end, it would end up costing the most. If you let the world tell you who you are and who you should be, you're inviting fear, insecurity, and the whims of society into your, the driver's seat of your life. John Knox once said, Until one has given his allegiance to God, he is the victim of his worst self. Because everything can be second-guessed about what's good and what's not and who we should be. And nobody can thrive like that. When there's no set foundation, we're blown around by other people's opinions or our own selfish preferences. And in many ways, a lack of a rooted identity is at the heart of many of the deepest problems of anxiety and fear and loneliness in our modern world. There is a cost to letting the world call the shots about who you should be. And it turns out playing it safe isn't actually as safe as it might seem. Which brings us to option B. Choose to be obedient to God and be formed by him. Now, initially, that's going to be the much harder choice because there will be resistance from the world. But there also is going to be a deep peace and even a joy that comes from that, knowing I followed my best impulse. I'm aligned with who I want to become. I'm centered on the character of God, which doesn't change. And for us as Christians, we know God does not promise that our obedience to him means we won't suffer. In fact, we're promised the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But what we also know is that Jesus promises to be with us in that suffering. And ultimately, the joy is being with Jesus, being part of a bigger story and a bigger purpose, knowing who it is that you're submitting to, and that he is good, and that he is for your good. 
At first, it might seem like choosing option B would be the harder choice, but down the road, it actually produces a harvest of faith and growth and peace. And Daniel saw this in this crossroads moment, that to choose safety in this moment was going to cost him too much. So he committed to his course. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Faith always requires a leap, and so Daniel chose to leap. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Have you ever had a crossroads moment like that? If so, you know they're scary and also life-changing. God gave Daniel favor with the guard, and Daniel was given permission to try a vegetable diet. And since after 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier than those who were eating the king's food, he was allowed to continue. I guess avoiding carbs was good even then. (laughs) So having leapt, Daniel's faith muscle got stronger. And for years, Daniel and his friends grew in trusting God through daily obedience. Now again, choosing obedience day in, day out probably doesn't sound too exciting or courageous because in our minds, often obedience equals boring. You do it because you know you're supposed to, not necessarily because you want to. Yes, that's the point. (laughs) That's why obedience is necessary. If you always wanted to do those things that are good for you, you just call it doing what you want. But what we need and what's healthy and good and formational for us are not always the things we would choose, right? Eat right, exercise, build muscle, spend time in prayer. Obedience also takes a surrender of self. It takes a daily kind of courage to put God first one day at a time. Because the truth is, our habits form us. What we do consistently creates these grooves in our brains. It's how our character is built. And what we've done consistently will be where we go when the crisis hits. What are you allowing to form your thinking, your actions? For Daniel and his friends, those daily obediences were important, more important than ever in a foreign land to form them. And it was a good thing because the next trial they faced would be even harder. Now we're moving on to to Daniel chapter 2 in your Bible. In the second year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he desperately wants someone to tell him what it means. And tired of being surrounded by phonies and really believing this was a supernatural message he needed to know, Nebuchadnezzar lays down a terrifying challenge to his astrologers, magicians, and sorcerers. He says, tell me what my dream means or I'm going to have you all killed. And they said, fine, tell us your dream, we'll interpret. And he says, no, you tell me both what I dreamed and what it means then I'll know it's not just your opinion. Tell me, or every last one of you is going to die. And of course, they panicked. In Daniel 2.10, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And that made the king furious. So he gave the order to have all the wise men killed, including Daniel and his friends. So when Daniel heard about this, he went to see the king and asked for time to interpret the dream. Because Daniel knew what the magicians had said was absolutely true. There is no human being on earth who could do this. There's only one in the universe who could. But Daniel had the advantage of knowing who that someone is. 
And since he was the only one who knew who to ask, only he could stand in the gap. He's faith leaping again. And this takes exceptional courage. But really, there isn't any other choice. The choice was, don't try anything and just die. Or ask God and maybe not only live, but experience a miracle. Or if God doesn't answer and you die, at least you die with the peace of knowing you've done everything you could to seek God's will for the situation. Daniel's course was terrifying, but it was clear. He would ask God to speak and commit to him the results. But think about this. If Daniel hadn't chosen obedience over the smaller matter of his diet, if he would have turned away from his faith to avoid risk in his first years, would he have dared approach God about this? Pretty sure he wouldn't have. The story would have ended right here. But because he took that smaller step of obedience, he had built his trust in God, and that had brought him to this point where he would dare come to God in this insane situation. And Daniel knows this is taking him way over his current level of faith. So very wisely, the first thing he does is to ask his friends to pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. If you ever find yourself in an impossible situation that needs the intervention of God's power, I suggest you follow Daniel's example and get your friends praying as soon as possible. Then Daniel begs the Lord to show him the dream. And during the night, God shows up. He shows Daniel what the king dreamed and what it meant. And Daniel bursts out in this song of relief and praise. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> And then the next morning, Daniel goes to the king. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And this is Daniel's witness. Because while before Daniel might have believed God could reveal mysteries, now he knows that he can. Daniel's faith has taken another huge leap forward. And the first thing he does, as you notice, is to give God the credit. So important, again, to learn this from Daniel. If you ever experience God answering a prayer, give him credit immediately. Because when you tell other people what God did, he is glorified and their faith and trust in God grows and the awe of it hits you differently, too. When you give God the credit, you remember what he can do, and it'll change the way you pray. Like obedience, praise is also a faith builder. And after Daniel told the dream in verse 46, the king fell down on the floor in front of Daniel and said, Surely your God is the God of gods, the revealer of mysteries. And Daniel was given a high status in the court of the king. So what do we learn from this story? If Daniel hadn't decided he was going to trust God in obedience over his diet, he never would have stepped into the situation where he had to trust God for the dream. And if he hadn't trusted God in this impossible situation, there is no way years later in his old age when Daniel was given the choice to worship the king or be thrown to the lions, Daniel would have chosen, seemingly without hesitation, the lions. Now, I'm truly in awe of Daniel. He seems like this absolute giant of faith. And yet it's very clear to me that faith was not built overnight. And neither is it with us. God builds faith in us one small obedience, one answered prayer at a time. 
And if you only look at the miraculous moments in Daniel's life, it's easy to think, well, who wouldn't trust God if he was always that clear? But you have to realize we're only looking at the highlight reel. Day in, day out, Daniel's life was not easy. It wasn't a life without suffering. In fact, if it had been, he probably would not have become the giant of faith that he became. Because history shows us greatness does not grow out of easy environments. It's only when you face the crossroads of struggle that you look for the purpose and foundation that leads to greatness. So do you understand what that means? Maybe in your life, if you are in the middle of one struggle after the other, and you're wondering, why isn't God moving? Why doesn't God keep away all these troubles? Maybe you should consider that maybe God wants you great more than he wants you comfortable. And that through it all, he's going to be faithful to meet you in the struggle. He always has. He always will. Because it's always at the crossroads where faith is built. You see, when we were exiled from God by our sin, wandering and without identity, Jesus, the most royal of all royal families, the son of the one true God, was exiled here for us. He humbled himself and took on the role of a servant under the kingdoms of this world in perfect obedience to the heart of God, his Father. And when the powers that be tried to make him deviate from that path of obedience to serve anyone other than God alone, when he came to the crossroads moment, option A, be faithful and die and save us, or option B, abandon the Father's will and live, Jesus chose the cross. That hard choice of perfect obedience led to a harvest of righteousness and peace for us. The saving grace that sets us free to be forgiven and have a new start every time we come to him. He was exiled for us so that nothing can ever exile us from his love ever again. Nothing, not even death, can separate a heart that will receive him from God's love. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's our identity. And because Jesus put his obedience where his love for us is, we can take that promise to the bank. And knowing that, why would we want the foundation of our identity to be anywhere but here, in anyone but him? Why would we let the whims of society dictate who we can be or how we should see ourselves when we can be grounded instead in the one who holds our eternal future and whose love doesn't change? Who are you? Whose are you? Where is your foundation? When you come to those crossroad moments of your life, how will you answer those questions? Maybe for you, finding the answer is going to take a leap of faith. Because people can tell you to trust God and that he's trustworthy, but you won't know that until you actually trust him. When you take him at his word that this love, this promise is meant for you. For faith to grow, it has to be used. It's kind of like a muscle. And this is what this call to obedience is all about. You're not called to be obedient so God will love you more. His love for you is already higher, wider, deeper than you could ever imagine or even experience. You're not called to be obedient to earn your salvation. Jesus has already done that for you by his perfect obedience. No, as Daniel realized, the blessing of obedience is that it builds our faith in ways that nothing else can. 
When we trust him enough to choose to do what he says, we begin to love him more. We begin to see him more. We begin to understand how he works. Obedience leads us into understanding who we are and whose we are and becoming more aware of God's presence with us in our daily lives. In John 14, Jesus points this out. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Knowing Jesus' presence with us every day is what shapes us most of all. Now today, you might not live in a situation of exile like Daniel's, but even in our world, it can be easy to feel like a stranger all alone in a cold world. And it can seem like the choices that we face every day are hard ones, and they challenge our faith. But what this book teaches us about God is that he is faithful and he will meet us in the struggle. And there's so much more that he wants to show us of who he is. And he's going to meet us every day and he'll meet our little signs of love, our daily obediences by revealing more and more of who he is if we're willing to listen. Because at the greatest of all crossroads moments, Jesus chose in obedience and love who he will be for you, your Savior, your Lord, your future, your home. Now, who will you be? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you love us so deeply, so passionately, that you want us to know you, you want us to experience you, but that you wait for us to invite you to be at work in us, that you call us to trust you with the things that we could never do ourselves with our salvation, with our hope, with our eternal future, just to trust you, to take one little step of obedience, of trust, that you are God, that you alone are Savior. And Lord, you open the floodgates of your grace and your promise to us. So Lord, thank you that we can trust you that we can hear your grace, your saving grace for us, and to know that promise and that peace every day. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, to move in obedience and trust. Help us to grow as your disciples as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Angie.